Hello, I'm Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mel Plus. I am joined this week and every week by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones coming up on today's show. Leaked documents show Instagram knows exactly how damaging their platform is to children. We talk to a parenting coach about it and how to protect our little ones. High Society Bible Tatler has updated its snob list. Apparently it's now acceptable to say toilet rather than loo. We'll talk to the principal of Etiquette School and I will chat with the brilliant journalist and news presenter Kate Silverton about her new book on raising kids. And finally, will anyone be able to save Christmas or indeed anything? Imogen, how are you? Oh, a little bit frustrated. Is it a fuel problem? Well, I've just been driving around, wait, <laughs> trying to find some just fuel. Petrol. Yeah. It's also, it was like... There was a brilliant moment. My husband followed a tanker, this is so pathetic, and then rang me up and went, I've seen one, it's going to Sainsbury's. So I obviously leapt into the car and I suddenly remembered it was like being in a sort of trying to follow the rave. Yeah. About 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you get a phone call going, it's happening on the M25, (laughs) Junction 3. And you get in your car and you drive manically and then in the vain hope. But, uh, yes, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. My husband's actually given up. He's let, got rid of his car. He's only got eight miles left God. on his tank. It's bad. It is really bad. It's bad. I mean, I'm quite Same. non-panicky about these things. Yes. And I'm always quite sort of cool and calm. And I, even I am a bit sort of... Sweated. Actually, this is not great. I've got actually half a, I have got half a tank because I was in Wales, you see. There's mm. lots of petrol in Wales. But it is But it, it, this is that sort of weird thing when you're driving up. I mean, I do a lot of driving. Yeah. And I, M40, yeah. no, no no garages open. No. Uh, M4, no garages. It's mm. just like... And you get sweatier and sweatier. Yeah. There's a thing called empty tank anxiety. Anxiety, yes, which... I know. I have actually run out of petrol, by the way, in my car. Have you? Yes, I have actually done that. Not recently, but oh, right. I have because I had a car that didn't really tell me when there wasn't any no. petrol in it, and I just wasn't really paying attention, and it just stopped. <laughs> and I was like, "What's wrong with it?" And I, and I looked at it, and I was, oh. "Oh my god, I've actually got no petrol." It is quite a weird thing. Yes, but, it but is... I do think the problem is the problem is is all these people who think their lives are so much important, more important than well, everybody else, true. is just filling up. Mm. I mean, I was in I was in Wales, and I was at a petrol station in Wales. There was no one there. Mm. It was perfectly okay plenty of petrol no issue at all there's me and some other guy and the other guy was literally filling 10 jerry cans what and you just felt saying actually you don't need that you've got no. you know, there's, there's no one queuing here there's obviously no shortage yeah. there's no problem why are you being such an asshole yeah. and it does remind you of the sort of inherent arseholiness of most people <laughs> which i think is very depressing arseholery arseholery is that the right is that the right term? inherent arseholery of everybody <laughs> apart from me obviously because my driving is more important than yours well i don't know normally i don't drive in london anyway so no, but, I, yeah. it, but it is yes. but also a part of me just thinks it's all just some ridiculous ruse to make us go out and buy ridiculously expensive electric cars that you know, burst into flames that burn at 400 degrees yes, centigrade. Yes, I've told you, we've discussed this before, and I've said to it's you... It's not, is it? No, I've said to you, the government can't run a tap. <laughs> the idea... <laughs> the well, they could engineer it. <laughs> engineer any form of conspiracy ever. <laughs> it's always cock-up, never yes. conspiracy. No, they oh, literally, dear. literally, I mean, hilarious. Leaked internal documents from Instagram's parents' company Facebook show that the app repeatedly found content was causing serious damage to young users, sending some spiralling into eating disorders or depression. And this was the company's own research, and it found that 32% of teenage girls said Instagram had made them feel worse about their bodies. Among UK users who reported suicidal thoughts, 13% traced them back to Instagram. But anyway, this week, uh, Instagram fought back, saying that actually its research shows that it actually makes teenage girls feel better. <laughs> 
about themselves. <laughs> it's all very confusing. Anyway, including loneliness, anxiety, mm. sadness, and eating issues. Apparently, it makes it feel Instagram makes them feel better on 11 out of 12 of these well-being issues. Oh, yes, yes. Anyway, goodness knows. I don't know which way is up anymore. But anyway, we're going to... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to tell, isn't it, Imogen, really, let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely and, impossible. And there's a lot of he, uh, he said, she said. But anyway, we're going to talk to natural expert Sue Atkins, um, author of The Parenting Coach, about this. Sue, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Pleasure. I do think this is quite funny because this is the leaked stuff that came out of yeah. Instagram, mm. and now they've sort of somehow managed to find some statistician. How did, to how did they together. get that statistic? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they must have known. They must have known. I mean, I have to say, I do think it is a driver of. Uh, uh, it's because of the filters, because no one on there actually looks like they do in real life. Yes, and but also that. But also they start on it so young. I mean, I remember my daughter secretly. St- I mean, they don't tell you as a parent that they're doing no. this. They like you know because they're naughty. And my daughter, I think she set up an Instagram account when she was about thirteen. Mm. She got her first phone when she went to secondary school, which is kind of normal, I think, for mm. most people. And she set up an Instagram account, and I discovered at one point that she'd sort of bought followers. <laughs> That's um, the worst b- because thing. she was so obsessed with having followers. So, Sue, tell to explain all of this stuff to us. Well, you know, it's invidious, isn't it? And I like how they're suddenly putting a spin on it because everybody knows there's loads and loads of research around the world showing that it does feed into teenage anxiety and depression. There was a video I remember watching as well that my kids recommended, you know, about some little young girl looking in the mirror. She thought her ears looked too big and this sent her down a terrible spiral of, you know, despair. And I do worry about the long-term effects of social media because I like my social media. I'm a Twitterholic sometimes and I like to go on Instagram Instagram and all the rest of it and you know but young kids certainly if you give your children access to these things too early they don't know how to handle them it's like giving them the keys to the four by four they can't drive it then pass their test so I think right from the word go parents need to be thinking and they're not thinking that when they randomly hand their toddler their phone because actually this sort of thing becomes the norm then I call that the electric babysitter but then it grows doesn't it and I even know I go on my Instagram and go oh gosh I lost two followers there I wonder and then I thought oh for god's sake Sue it doesn't matter you know um but you can get a bit sucked into it and teenagers of course They're worried all the time about social acceptance. They want to be liked by their peers. The thing is that they're missing out on is that, you know, body language, tone of voice, they can't sort of make a sort of social mistake and kind of learn from it. You know, when we, well, I don't know about you, but, you know, hanging around in the shopping center or hanging around on the phone with your friends and, you know, talking and learning and making kind of faux pas and then go, oh, gosh, that didn't work out quite how I thought. In real life, you can't spend time crafting the perfect response, no. can you? No, and I think the other thing about Instagram is that it's so visual. I mean, I remember when I was 13, 14, 15, there were probably some total of about three photographs yes. of me. It's probably I, fortunate I, at that point. Probably very lucky. I mean, I did not look at myself constantly I know. Yes. in pictures. And go, yeah. visual, and, and, yeah, I mean, so, so for example, my daughter, like, I had no idea when I was her age how to pose for a photograph. No. Literally would not. Have, I mean, every photograph of me between, you know, that age, I'm basically, you know, my eyes are half shut mm. and my mouth is open and I'm, you know, I look like I've got a fly up my nose. And whereas, you know, she can immediately, as soon as the camera comes out, she immediately yeah. goes into that sort of Instagram pose. But the other thing about it is that, and I think this is a relatively recent development, is mm. that it's now a moneymaker. Yes. So for yeah. young people, so for example, one of my 
son's friends at school, so 16, mm. is a... Is it influencer? Is she's a TikTok star. Right. She has uh. something like 10 million followers. Mm. She is earning, I think, you know, probably about, certainly more than me. She's, mm. you know, she's earning, you know, quite a lot quite of money. money yeah. And she, and she's, you know, she's about to drop, as the young people say, a clothing line. <laughs> uh, and it's all because she did a video of herself having her braces removed, which blew up. No. Yeah. On it on on TikTok, and she's a lovely girl. She's really lovely. Yeah. She comes around the house all the time. She's absolutely. But isn't that just a bit? Yeah, my, weird? my very weird. My daughter went to somebody's celebration of a hundred and fifty thousand followers party. No. Yes, oh, and there was an, actually a cake and everything. <laughs> oh, it's, it's oh, that's unbelievable. That Sue, it's unbelievable. awful. It's oh. awful. I mean, it's but, but the idea that this actually it could possibly be a real career for somebody yeah, as well. Exactly. And of course. You know, a lot of these people don't realise that being an influencer like that comes with responsibility. Mm. Yeah. But, but the the real problem is that it's easier and easier to get onto these platforms younger and younger. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what they should do is, you know, I mean, they say that they you're not supposed to have an Instagram account before the age of sort of 13 or mm. something. But, you know, ch little children have got them. And they've also got private ones as well, which mm. is very mm. weird. You know, so you, mm. you think your daughter's got this account and you're looking mm. at it going, oh, that's nice. She's going to a pottery class with some friends <laughs> and then she'll have another alternative as I know from my own experience exactly. she'll have an alternative account in which she's you know I don't showing know, her backside showing her backside and taking <laughs> drugs it's just yes. very scary exactly so that's the sort of so children are much cleverer than we think yeah. they are that's so the problem so what are we to do that's the thing it's you know what can parents do? What can we all try and do? Well, I think I think that Facebook and Instagram can take can take some responsibility for yes. this, yeah. and they can yeah. and they can make you know they can uh, proof they of can, age. I think you should have yeah, that they proof can of raise age. the barriers to entry. I mean, this goes you know this goes all the way down the line from Facebook to online porn. Mm. You know, mm. which mm. You know, then we need to have legislation that raises the mm. barriers to entry that says you know you mm. need to have a credit card. You need to have. Yes. It's not just yeah. a fake, yeah. a fake idea. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. the thing is, is it's perfectly possible to lock people out of things like Netflix. Exactly. So it should also be perfectly possible yeah. to lock things out of. Yeah, because it's it's a question of wanting to. It's yeah. a will, isn't it? it to is, want yeah. to do something. Yeah. And they clearly don't. No. And then there was this talk. I still don't know if it's bubbling along. Instagram for kids. Instacrit kids. I thought. Oh yes, yes, I saw that. That's mm. absolutely hideous. It's like it's like, sort of, it's like the, the gateway drug, isn't it? To the ah. <laughs> Isn't it just that's a great description of it, actually? Yeah. 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 Anyway, we, we thank you for talking to us. We must go because we have to go and talk about more depressing things, Sue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> that was Sue Atkins, author of The Parenting Coach. I mean, I know it's a sort of leap from Instagram to online porn, but I can't help thinking that, you know, that, you know, there's this. Um, online bill going through soon in mm. November is having its, I don't know, second reading. It won't get through. Because uh, everyone's too pathetic. Everyone's too pathetic. But the whole problem is is that we look at this Wayne Cousins man and, 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 mm. and poor old Sarah Everard and everything points to him being an absolute habitual user of hardcore online porn. Oh. And I do think this stuff is absolutely deadly. And I'm a few years ago I did a a special report 
about 2015 and I went and I watched a whole load of this stuff mm. for work. Oh, I remember you that. Yeah. Yes, I, remember you I had to go that, to yeah. Windsor and sit with a man. Um, yes. And these poor police officers who actually have to watch these it. These poor police yeah. officers whose job it is to watch it in order to identify illegal activity. Yes. So if they can, if they think that an actual rape is taking place, mm. then they can prosecute it and get the stuff taken down. But that's the only way they can do it. So oh. they have to watch it all. And the stuff that I saw, honestly, I can't tell you, it just makes you want to weep. Mm. And it's and it is absolutely what happened in this Sarah Everard case. It's all about fantasy, you know, and, fantasy and 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 it's all rape. Violence. You know, yeah. every, these people who say, oh, you know, porn is so empowering for women because it allows them to explore their sex. No, the stuff that it, the stuff that gets to the top because it's all algorithms. Yeah. And what what gets the top of the page of the mm. porn page is what people watch. Yeah. And so it's basically it's 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 Darwinian literally. The more people watch it, the more it goes to the top. Right. And the stuff that's at the top is the is always the violent stuff. Right. The problem with free to view online porn is it legitimizes it yes well, do you, it, no, do you know, it normalizes well, it it also makes you feel like you're not alone yeah but you it know, makes you think that it's okay other people have watched yeah. this then which case exactly I'm, I, you know, this is cool this yeah. has got so many hundred thousand likes yes. therefore you know I'm not a weird pervert mm. I'm not a strange person but and that's where it legitimizes it and it also desensitizes yes. people to what they see because if you watch that stuff over and over again mm. you suddenly start to think it's normal yes fine uh, and that it's okay to mm. do that and that's the problem and that's why it, it, it can't be free to view and no. it is and no one will do anything about it yes. I've written 70,000 pieces I know you have this I was your... like a sort of obsessed woman I know and every this time your absolute bet noir every time it, it comes to anything everyone goes oh well you know free speech oh shut up like, no I just really know it's not free speech it's horrible violent <laughs> all, stuff all you're saying is just put it behind a paywall just put it behind a paywall so that you have to be an adult with yeah. a credit card to see it and identifiable and identifiable so that you know your name you've got a username and a log on and people know who you are yeah fine i'm not approved if you want to watch porn that's Mm. fine Mm. i don't you know it's it's not my bag but if you love it that's Mm. fine but you have to be an adult yeah and you have to have accountability kids are watching this stuff age 13 14 it's totally destroying and it's just tragic anyway i'll shut up now Sorry about that, listeners, because, I mean, I try not to be too depressing most of the time, but I am feeling quite cross about this today. So listen, we're going to segue into something fun. Come on, let's talk about this tatler snob list. This made me laugh a lot. Apparently it's now okay to say toilet. Toilet, toilet, toilet. It is absolutely not okay to say toilet. Well, you've always said, uh, Imogen has always (laughs) said to me, ironically, toilet facility. Toilet facility, yes. But this story is funny. Dat Tatler, the um, so-called etiquette Bible, has published a new list of things that are acceptable. See, I don't think they've nailed it particularly no. well, actually. The, pers- the person who does the-, does the best lists like this is Nicky Haslam. Oh, yes. And he d- says things like, things that are common, is what he says. Yes. Things like Cornwall. Yes. Common. <laughs> uh, ambition. Common. Oh, yes. Um, He's a proper snob. Though, yeah, yeah, exactly. He? Being ill is common. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, apparently houseplants are acceptable now, which I always thought they were very, very common. Apparently they're very big now. Are they? Yes. Oh, I, I always thought a house plant was totally acceptable. No, I was always told it wasn't. I oh. don't know. But what, but what made me laugh is that is that they say that cappuccinos after midday are acceptable. No, they're and not. They're just not. No, no, as an, not. As, a, as an honorary Italian, I no. can tell you. No. But if you order a cappuccino after midday in Italy, they will laugh, laugh. at you. Yeah, yes. absolutely laugh at and, you. Uh, yes. No and, one needs all that milk after no, midday exactly. anyway. It's the disgusting. Idea is, yes. Disgusting. But, um, <laughs> 
Joining us to discuss is the founder and principal at the British School of Etiquette, Mr. Philip Sykes. Hello, Philip. Sarah, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well. Lovely to talk to you. So um, we're talking about this um, new uh, list of what of things you can and can't be snobby about from Tatler. I have yes. to say Imogen and I are being a bit snobby about it. <laughs> You're being you're being snobby about. We're being snobby answer. about the list. We're being we don't snobby think about the snobby list because yes, we think it's we, we. We don't think it's snobby I mean, enough. It says that you can. It now says it's okay to have a cappuccino after midday. No, it's, it's not, not, is it, Philip? No. <laughs> I suppose it depends who you ask. But, but Philip, still, but, no, but Philip. Philip, Philip, no. can I just say Crocs? Crocs. No. Surely those not. Out, those, those are definitely, in my opinion, should be out. Yes. I mean, so um, isn't the thing about a snob list that it has to be old-fashioned and out-of-date? Of course it does. Isn't that the whole point of a snob list? Yes. Because if you're a snob, you are old-fashioned and out-of-date. It's, it's, sort of, it's, it's inherent in the, in the category. I mean, it says here that it's okay for me to say toilet. No, it's not. It's, it's image. It's, it's not. not. No, 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 it's loo. <laughs> It's Lou. Look, look ladies, <laughs> Sarah and Chelsea, no, you know, as you know, snobbery is all about people who think they are better than other people. Yes. And they are definitely no-nos. Um, mm. I had an aunt that if you mentioned the word toilet, you could actually see her literally on her feet cringing. Mm. It, it just, the word just resigna- didn't resonate with her on any level. I mean, the thing that one thing that's not on this list is houseplants. And oh. I'd be interested to know where you stand on houseplants, Philip. <laughs> Um, look, I'm going to be pragmatic here. Mm. I think houseplants, depending on your choice of houseplant, are very good for your psyche. They're very good for the, you know, the, the, the actual environment within your home. Mm. So houseplants, the correct choice of houseplant, like a you know, beautiful orchid or yeah, I know there's some certain f- ferns out there or various plants that one would absolutely have in their homes. And um, this whole thing about snobbery is something that really, it flummoxes me a lot of the time, I have to say. Because when you look at, 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 the, at the sort of, you know, that list are, are allowed to be snobby about. I mean, Prince Harry wears a gilet. Mm. Um, you know, Crocs, they've got a place in, in the kitchen, maybe. Uh, I'm all about, definitely, no, there's, no, there's no excuse for chip nail polish, with all due respect. Everything's I think chip nail polish is quite cool, actually. That's the thing. I think it's quite rock and roll. I think it's quite witty, talking I, to somebody yeah. who's got very chip nail polished <laughs> just right now. <laughs> <laughs> what you, what, Philip, you, I'm sorry. You'd be horrified to so see Philip, my hands. You're, you are the founder and principal of the British School of Etiquette. Tell me what, tell me what you teach there and, yes, and who your clients are. Certainly. We focus, our, our, I suppose if you said to me, what is our strap line? It is building confidence and changing lives. We dig deep down into giving people the tools to understand the importance of etiquette and, and manners and that it's a lifestyle choice, not something you turn on. And what is the gold standard? Is, is, I mean, when, what are they? So obviously different cultures have different manners. Mm. You know, they have yes. different standards. They have different traditions. Is it Britain? Is, is Britain, you know, poor old broken Britain with, <laughs> you know, no petrol, <laughs> no, no, fuel, no food, loads of lunatics sitting on the air. Are, are we still considered to be <laughs> etiquette wise? Are we still the gold standard? Do we have the best manners, basically? I don't, I, I don't, don't believe so. No, I think the world oh. over needs etiquette and manners. And I think with what we've been faced with over the last X amount of years, the, it's on its head. And I think, you know, if you think about etiquette and manners, they're there to help us so that we don't bump into each other. That's it's true. not about being pompous and, you know, looking down your nose. We could do or, some more gents, yes, actually, yes. Philip. I think you're doing a great job. We need some more nice, gentle folk around being polite and kind. 
It's what it's all about at the end of the day, Sarah mm. and Chelsea. It's kindness. It's having a what can I do for you attitude. It's putting people at ease in a short space of time. Uh, we, we actually, you asked a, a very interesting question. What do we focus on? One of the things we fo- focus on, we, we tend to take people on a journey to really get them to understand. And we use this, coin this phrase, the power of etiquette and manners. And when you are faced with a situation, we talk about um, a six-second rule, observe the pause. Because if, let's say, Chelsea uh, revved your motor, Sarah, and, and upset you, and then someone walked into the studio, and you snapped at them, it's not them that you're snapping at. You, you, you're taking something that's happened a few moments ago that, that Chelsea wound you up, mm. and you snap. So observing the pause, you know, l- listening to, to, to oneself and really getting to understand that we need to calm down firstly. Yes, and Philip, need Philip to look at can I, may I, may I, may I uh, say something? So I have a slight, I have an etiquette situation here, which is that, which is that my co-presenter is not called Chelsea, she's actually called Imogen. <laughs> Sorry, Imogen, my yes, apologies. Right. Oh, I mean, I I Thanks I'm, for correcting I'm, me. I've been thinking a lot all along, how do I say this in a polite way? You've done it beautifully. <laughs> You've done it beautifully. Yes. Imogen, I am so sorry. No, don't worry, Philip. <laughs> Philip, thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was fascinating. Lovely to talk to you. Yeah, thank you very much. It's such a joy. And thanks for the opportunity, ladies. <laughs> that was Philip Sykes, founder and principal of the British School of Etiquette. Gosh, I hope I didn't upset him. No, you didn't remotely I, upset I, him. I mean, I did, it, it, it was a conundrum. I mean, it, it was, was brilliant and it developed completely My naturally. My were clenching yes, tighter ch- and tighter as the conversation <laughs> went also, further also, and further. <laughs> At what point are we going to say my that name? My name is not Chelsea, Chelsea. it's Imogen. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I was cracking nuts But by you're the end. obviously so posh that he just assumed that you're called Chelsea. Obviously, yeah. yes, yes. That's where I, I was I born. I mean, I should be called Knightsbridge, yes. obviously. <laughs> I was not born in Chelsea. I was born in Birmingham, <laughs> which, which should really be on the list that of a no. should be on the list of not unacceptable, <laughs> unacceptable places. Exactly. <laughs> You are listening to the Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and Imogen Edwards-Jones. You can visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and more. And if you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Westminster Wag. So earlier this week, I caught up with BBC journalist turned parenting author Kate Silverton to chat about her book, No Such Thing as Naughty. So I was looking at your book last night. Very interesting. I remember when I had my little children, I remember thinking, I must write a parenting book. But of course, I never did it, mainly because I'm useless at parenting and also useless at writing books. So how did you manage to do it? I mean, I'm just really in awe, actually. Well, it's an interesting <laughs> one, isn't it? I mean, it sort of lockdown presented itself with an opportunity, given that my husband was then taking up on the childcare. But it would have been deeply ironic if I was neglecting my children whilst writing a parenting book. So I was very careful <laughs> around that. But to be honest with you, I was actually joking the other day that I said, I think I I pulled more all-nighters writing their book than I did when I was a student. So it gives you a sense of I was sort of getting up really early and going to bed really late and then parenting in between. But in all honesty, I it had been in my head for years because my degrees in psychology with a focus on child psychology, I'm now training as a children's counsellor. I have been involved with many of the children's mental health charities, the NSPCC, Place to Be, the Anna Freud Centre as well as the Royal Foundation. And everything that I had, my curiosity was around, A, being a mother, as you Mm. you will know, um, Mm. and then working in the field of children's mental health and understanding from the psychiatrists, the neuroscientists, the psychotherapists that I was speaking to, that there Mm. is a wealth of science now 
It's not mm. just someone's opinion. There's a wealth of science mm. around how our children's brains develop and how that shapes their behavior. And suddenly, mm. as a mother, I thought, wow, that makes my life mm. really quite easy and my children much happier because mm. I know how to respond, not because someone's telling me, but because I can trust my instincts more. And that's what this book is all about. It's about empowering parents, giving them the knowledge, disseminating mm. it, democratizing this science, making it really accessible, but allowing them mm. to then use their instincts in the way that actually nature is designed. When I was reading it, I was thinking, what this book does very effectively is it explains why your instincts work. So as yes. a mother, you have all these instincts. And you know, when I had my babies, my daughter's now 18, my eldest is now 18, you know, everyone was doing that Gina book, you know, the contented little baby, which was all about making them go to sleep at certain times and then waking them up to feed them and then making them go to sleep. And everyone was doing it. And it was all like, well, what do you mean you're not doing controlled crying? What do you mean you're letting them sleep in the bed with you? And I remember at the time thinking, well, my instinct is that I shouldn't wake my baby up when it's having a nice sleep mm. and try and shove five ounces of formula milk down it so that I can get it into some sort of routine. But of course, in those days, it was all very much, well, your baby will be unhappy. But what your book does very effectively is it says, these are the instincts you have and these are why you have them. This is why, mm. because your baby's brain works like this. And I love the thing that you do with the owl and the monkey and the lizard. So could you just explain a bit about that? Because I thought that was really helpful. Yeah, sure. So when I was doing all my academic work, you sit there and you're reading mm. these papers at three o'clock in the morning talking about the cerebellum and bilateral integration and, mm. and the amygdala. And you're thinking, OK, right, OK. And I, I'd sit there and I thought, well, there must be, as a journalist, you'll know, you know, there must be an easier way to explain all of this. And so mm. I came up with this concept. And what mm. I've done is really simplify how our brains develop. And in the beginning, mm. when we're in the womb as a baby, it's our lizard brain. It's that unconscious conscious part that allows us to drive our sleep our feeding our breathing it's unconscious we don't think about it we just know we're hungry and and that part is driven by that what I call the lizard brain and we can think of it as a very atavistic very ancient part of our brain then we come to the bit that really comes into its own when we have our toddlers which is why we associate toddlers with the big emotions and the beating of mm. the chest almost and the snatching mm. and the and the big tears well, that is all what I call the baboon, which is our limbic system. And it's that the first sort of reckonings of the social side of life. And that's what our children are designed to go out there and sort of become more social. They still need to be attached to the parent. They still need to have that solid base that they can come back to to feel safe. This is where the amygdala is, sort of the fear system. And then we have what I call the wide owl, the cortical part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex that, you know, it, it sort of differentiates us from other animals. And that's the problem solving, the thinking about the past, the future. And the key element of the book is to understand, and that's why I say there's no such thing as naughty, because our children don't have a fully developed uh, wide owl just yet. It takes years for that to develop. And well, my teenagers don't have it yet. No. <laughs> the reason teenagers are so difficult. I'm sure when you get to this stage, you'll have to write another book, Kate, because really, honestly, my mother said to me when my daughter was just a completely off the scale nightmare, she said, oh, don't worry. She said, it's because she doesn't have a frontal lobe cortex. She'll be fine. When she gets to the age of 18, she'll be back. And literally almost on her 18th birthday, 
suddenly turned yeah. into a human being. And it there is really interesting. So they, they will have the prefrontal cortex. It will have developed under your nurturing care. But what happens is, and Dr. Dick and Bevington, who's a child psychiatrist, explained to me that especially when the sex hormones are kicking in, in that sort of mm. 10 to 14 years and a little bit mm. later, that it's almost as if the sex hormones come in and the brain's like, whoa, there's so much going on. And the why vowel almost goes to sleep. I mean, some children, children are challenging in different ways. And I think, you know, well, my own experience with my two is that one was much more challenging than the other, actually. Just one was really hard work and then the other one was not. And I think as parents, there are times when you feel, you look at your child and you think, I just don't like you. or understand you do you know what I mean well I'm actually I am so I'm I'm just started this week writing the second book which Mm. is more for the primary years and I hear that a lot for the primary years because our children are starting to gain their independence and we've sort of labeled it or or not all of us but you know it has been labeled as oppositional behavior and actually I want to deconstruct that and talk about that like dislike because I'm going to start this book as I finished the last one. The last one I finished with parents and self-care, but this one I'm going to start with the parents to explain how our own brain and how our own childhood experience actually can see us being triggered by our children's behavior and explaining, you know, how we can recognize those triggers and actually resolve them so that we're not triggered and that we don't end up in that place. So you've just started the next book and what's that called? So that's going to be the same vein. There's no such thing as naughty, the primary years. So same principles, but I'm, I'm kind of excited about getting stuck in, even though I know how hard it is to write. I'm like, oh my gosh, my brain is going to get burned again, but it's too important not to. And, And there's lots of really interesting, I've had a lot of lovely feedback from paediatricians and saying you know this is really needed so please keep writing so yes i very much recommend it thank you very much for talking to me it's 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 a really fascinating subject and uh, and all credit to you for managing to do for managing to do that (laughs) and everything else that was kate silverton bbc journalist and author of no such thing as naughty so we are joined now, Imogen, by mm. fabulous Teresa Chung. For and you. I think she is going to try and explain to us what the effing hell is going on. I must just mention this. Which oh, is yes, that, it's good, yes. Which is that James Forsyth, who is a very funny, who's a very clever writer, has named the current crisis the effing crisis, energy, fuel, food. <laughs> <laughs> effing. Effing. I, th- I see what he's done there. Yeah, I see. Oh, yeah, it's good. Uh, Teresa, can you talk to us about but why it's... everything is just going to hell in a handcart, please? Astrologically. Well, it, it is. I mean, astrologers should have picked up more on this, myself included, but we tend to sort of deal with the personal and individuals mm. rather than the huge collective planetary picture. But looking back in hindsight, which is always a great teacher, mm. it's this massive struggle between Saturn, which is all about structure, and Uranus, um, which is all about change and progress and the, and the two of them sort of head on and you know the last time that kind of happened was when the spanish flu happened in 1918 so what? it has been up there because you look at patterns in astrology and yeah. see repeating patterns and, and events that took place at the time so the spanish flu had kind of similarities to what we've had these last couple of years and it is a titanic struggle up there in the heavens and it's up to us all to make the right choices right now. October is going to be complicated, of course, because we've got that darn Mercury retrograde yet again. And in Libra, where the focus is going to be on interpersonal relationships and confusions. After the 20th, we get a bit of a breather. However, I am concerned COVID-wise. We've got 
some hurdles to get over with. There could potentially, looking at the aspects up there, that December and January, there could be a new strain or something coming up that sets us back a bit. Happy so Christmas. Mark... Thanks, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we will. It's definitely on the back burner. You can look at it up there. It's definitely on the back burner, COVID. We are going to have to learn to live with it for a few more years. So yet, there might be a definitely... bit of a sort of annoying tickly cough around the 21st. Mm. But there could be a new kind of strain or something oh, that mutates or something December, January, we need to be old. It's just caution. We've all got to have mm. individual responsibility and collective responsibility. Mm. But it is all up there in the heavens, the potential for it there. But we can we can focus on the positive. That's all we've got, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is all the fact we've got because we haven't got anything else. No, we haven't got any petrol, sorry. that's for sure. <laughs> got any petrol. I wish I could be much more positive. <laughs> can you, predict, yes, yes, can yes. you predict the petrol station nearest Imogen where she... <laughs> Fill up because she's oh, have you had to queue forever? Oh, I, yes. I queued for yeah. two hours the other day. Yes, I have, yeah. My husband's given up entirely. He's just left his car by the side of the road. It's empty. Yeah. It's, we're back to Zooming again and doing everything virtually because it no, just makes sense again. It's such, such a shame. fun last all, time. <laughs> we were all coming out of the Shire, weren't we? Yeah. And now we're having to go back. Um, mm. But it's like the loo roll madness, isn't it? Mm. That was yeah. so funny. Why yeah. loo roll? I don't know. People are, I mean, they always say the British are anally obsessed, don't they? So I suppose that must be it. Well, it's the ultimate indignity, isn't it, having no loo roll? Well, yeah, but you can just wash your bottom like yeah. an Italian in a bidet. Yeah, or, 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 or use newspaper like or, the Russians. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are alternatives. Yeah. The other, other way, other... Not other... newspaper. No. I promise you, that's what we used to have when we were, and I lived in Russia. I have to say, Teresa, that I have, in my downstairs loo, I have one of those... Um, Bottom washers. Oh, yeah. You do too. I yes. do. Yeah. 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 Yes. Because I'm. I grew up with bees. It's quite unfortunate if you go in there drunk, you press the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I grew up in a I've city where we Teresa. all have bee days. And, and, and it's, I mean, loo paper is really just for emergencies. I mean, everything else. I mean, do, you, do you know what I mean? It's not for, a bee day is not for your feet. No. I love the way we're getting right back to basics. <laughs> the thing is, when I, did in, when I installed the bottom washer in my downstairs loo, mm. the man said to me, would you like it heated? Oh, yes. I and I, that. I said, well, yes, I would. And he said, it's going to cost a lot more. I said, no, it's fine. I'll just have a cold one. Yeah. So it's very invigorating. <laughs> it is very invigorating. Yes. Yes. I go back to being drunk in the lavatory at Sarah's house. <laughs> Bit of a shock. Bit of a shock. Suddenly you're revitalized. Because oh, you mentioned Uranus. Yes. It always gets me. <laughs> I'm such a child. Yes. I can't stop myself. Yes. Teresa, thank you very much. Lovely to speak to you. We will talk to you again next week. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Westminster Wag. You have been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine and Imogen Edward-Jones. Thank you for listening. <laughs>